you set them up. You set them up to hear your voice today, to give them a word that will sustain them. Your word that doesn't, uh, that doesn't become void, but it accomplishes its purpose. Spirit of God, have your way in this place. Use this earthly vessel to communicate your truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Today, church, I'm continuing the series called Rags to Riches. They can put the picture up, but the Rags to Riches series is all about the, uh, the gospel. It's all about the cross. It's all about what Jesus did for you and I so that we can have something that no one else can give us, no other thing can give us besides him. Um, the, the key text or the key passage that we'll be making as the background of this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And this is what this verse says. For you know, so Paul assumes that the Corinthian church know about the grace of God. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That is the gospel, my friends. Jesus went from riches to rags so that we can go from rags to riches. Last week, we looked at the context of this. Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers to follow through with their desire to give by actually doing it. There are many people in life that have desire to do so many things, but don't actually follow through. And Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers you have a desire to give. You've expressed it in the previous letter. Now carry it through. Because there are people that need your financial faithfulness. There's some people in Jerusalem that are struggling, so they need it. So that in, in order to encourage them, Paul first used the churches that were in the Macedonian region. And out of the extreme poverty that they were going through, they had this supernatural ability to be generous. How many know that to be generous is only when we have an understanding of the generous God and the things that God has generously done for us. Remember, grace is all about whatever we do for others is all about having an understanding of what God has done for you and for me. So we explored how Jesus, um, how first he used the example of the Macedonian churches, and then he said, if that's not enough, let's look at this key verse, which was Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. What has he done for you? If that's not a motivating factor for you to give, then nothing else will be. And this is basically the premise of that, just a quick summary. Though he was rich, it's not talking about the earthly monetary possessions that Jesus had while he was on the earth. It was the former glory that he had. Jesus didn't need anything else to add to his glory. Jesus didn't need you or I to say, you are worthy, Lord, for him to be worthy. You are glorified for him to be glorified. Jesus had all the glory, all the honor, all the, the, the rights that God had because Jesus did not exist when he came onto this earth. He pre-existed from the very beginning. So though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Jesus laid aside his riches. He didn't lay aside his divinity. He didn't lay aside the fact that he was God, but he put his privileges and rights as God for your sake and my sake. He didn't do it because he needed anything to add to his deity. He did everything that he did for our sake. It shows us the love of God, the unlimited, the, the limitless love of God, doesn't it? And then we looked at how so that he did all of this. He came down to the earth. That's how he became poor. He did all of this so that we may become rich. Not so we become millionaires, but so we can have things through Christ that money cannot give us. 
that big houses cannot give us, that nice cars cannot give us, that many friends cannot give us, that an amazing family cannot provide for us. Jesus came down into the earth to make you and I rich. So today, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be defining what kind of riches did Jesus come to give us. We're going to be looking at riches according to the world and riches according to the word. We're going to see the distinction that heaven and earth have a completely different definition of what it means to be poor and what it means to be rich. Are you with me, church? Let's look at the world's definition. The Cambridge Dictionary defines wealth as the following. A large amount of money or valuable possessions that someone has. Second definition, a large amount of something good. The Cambridge Dictionary defines rich as the following, having a lot of money or valuable possessions. It defines poor as the following, having little money or few possessions. It defines poverty as the following, the condition of being extremely poor. So the world's definition of wealth and poverty is narrowed down to material possessions. To be wealthy according to the world is to have an abundance of possession. The definition is narrowed down to the physical realm, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can smell, taste, and feel. The, the definition of wealth is narrowed down to the physical realm. And to be poor according to the world's definition it's limited to those who have little money or little possessions. Now, let's go to the Word. What does the Word of God has, have to say about this? And I think, I was thinking about where do I start or where do I go to really articulate this in a way that can really be contextually appropriate to the series that we're learning. And I just can't help but go to this story. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Let's read together with me. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the context of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is in the midst of teaching some of the most powerful lessons on spiritual living and how we are to, not, we are to be watchful of hypocrisy. He referred to hypocrisy as the seed of the Pharisees. He said, watch out for a life of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the word in the Greek means stage actor. It means you are, you are someone who you're really not. Like actors are acting out a certain character who they're really not. That's what hypocrisy living is. It's we say one thing, but we do another thing. We speak one thing, but we do another thing. We say we believe one thing, but we deny another thing. So the Bible warns us, and Jesus is speaking about this amazing, spiritual, important truth. It's like a, a sermon he's preaching to the crowd. Imagine the scene, and, and he's really telling them, don't be afraid of those who are able to kill your body but cannot touch your soul. Don't be afraid of dying in the natural. The real important thing is your spiritual life. And he's speaking all of these amazing spiritual truth, and this man in the crowd, it's like I'm preaching now, and he stops the sermon. He stops the message of Jesus. He stops this important truth that we need to hear, and he says, Jesus, I've got something else on my mind. Can you tell my brother, I'm having a dispute, can you be the judge, Jesus, and tell my brother to give me what belongs to me? Hmm. In the midst of all of these teachings, 
a man interrupts him to ask a question about a dispute over inheritance. Now, when you study the culture, an inheritance to have in order for you to be the, the, the receiver of an inheritance, your parent has to die. So we know in this context that the father of these brothers has passed away. So there's some kind of dispute that arose out of that. And we can assume that this brother that is asking Jesus is the younger brother because normally the older brother is the one that receives a double portion of the inheritance. Mind you, that's not an unfair thing. That is what rightfully belongs to him. So this younger brother is disputing that. He's saying, I want it to be divided equally. And Jesus, I want you to do something about it. The, mind's, the man's mind is totally fixed on earthly possessions. His body is there in the midst of the teaching. It's like our body is here present in the church, but our mind is absent. This man is thinking about something else as Jesus is trying to touch his heart with the words that he's speaking about spiritual truth. You know, this is also true for many who come to hear the message today in our modern world. Hence why the seed of God's word doesn't bear fruit in our life. Because Jesus shared an important parable for us to conceive and understand what goes on when the word of God is preached. The Bible says that when the word of God is preached, there is four types of hearts that the word of God lands on. The first one is the footpath. When the word of God is sown, it's like it lands on a heart that's like a footpath. This heart is the one that whenever the word of God is preached, Satan comes and steals immediately what has been sown. What this means is that this person is in the room, but their life is filled with so much sin, they are controlled with so much sin that the word of God has no room to be taken in their heart. So Satan has taken their mind captive and he doesn't want them to conceive the ideas that what God is trying to say. The second heart is the shallow heart. It is the rocky heart. There's no depth. The Bible says this kind of person, they say amen, hallelujah, they receive it with joy. They walk out, they go back to exactly the same way they were. There is no depth into what, into what they've heard. The, se- the third person is the crowded heart. This is the heart that is listening to God's word, but there is the love of the world is so much in their heart. Their heart is crowded. The worry of pursuing wealth, the, the, the pursuit of wealth, and the pursuit of other things choke the ability of God's word to produce fruit. And the, the fourth heart is the fruitful heart. It's the heart that listens, that receives it by faith, that goes and, and, and obeys it and applies it. That person grows and matures. So Jesus is teaching this, and this is the kind of man that puts his hand up and asks this question. Let's listen to the response of Jesus from verse Luke chapter 12, verse 15 to 21. Then he said to them, watch out. <laughs> Notice how Jesus always does this. He's asked a question, but his response has nothing to do with what he's, he's been asked with. The man is asking, can you be the judge and divide then, uh, and, and be the judge over the dispute with my brother. But Jesus goes on and replies this. Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I, notice the, the selfishness of the plans that this man has. He said, I 
will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. But this is the key part that I want you to note. But is not rich toward God. You have riches materially, but you're not rich toward God. (laughs) Jesus warns the real issue of the man's question. You know, when we often bring our problems and our questions to God, this is how often God deals with us. God often responds in the same way. He goes past the question or the problem and addresses the heart of the matter. The root problem. The answer might not be what we're looking for. This man came to Jesus and the answer might not be what he's looking for, but it is what he needs to hear in order to change and in order to grow. Jesus said, watch out for greed. (laughs) Can you just picture this young man, whoever, young or old, I'm not sure, so I can't say young man, but imagine this man in the crowd. He puts his hand up, he's asking Jesus, and Jesus is speaking about greed. In other words, Jesus is saying, Man, I'm telling you, the real issue in your heart is greed. The word greed is the same word for covetousness, to to covet something. It's a desire to have more. It's to long for or to lust after something. One one, uh, definition is unlawful desire to possess that which rightly belongs to another. Isn't this The very hidden reason behind the first sin? (laughs) Think about it. Adam and Eve coveted the desire to have knowledge of the good and evil that rightly belonged to the Creator. It was a coveting after, a lasting after, a knowledge that they could not handle, a knowledge that rightly belonged to the Creator. So this man that is asking this question, he knows that his brother got an inheritance that rightly belongs to him, and yet he's coveting after something that doesn't belong to him. Jesus, sorry, this is the definition, sorry. When you see in this narrative what Jesus begins to teach us about what life is all about, this is the definition we just read of the world's definition of poverty, isn't it? The world defines poverty, um, sorry, this is against, this isn't the definition, sorry, that we just read. Jesus dismantles this definition and shows this man the flaw in that worldview, that to be rich is to have an abundance of possession. Jesus, Jesus says, no, life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. 
This, my friends, is the same philosophy the world sells us today. That we are to accumulate more possessions and more possessions. That it's never enough to have one house. We need another one. We need not just one job. We need three jobs. Our income is never enough. So we need more and more and more. And we save all our money for retirement so we can live in luxury and have the yacht and have that fancy house that we've always dreamed for. Isn't this the dream that the world sells us today, my friends? This is the dream that this man had in the parable. I've got, I've got, my business has been successful. I've got all that I need, but I need to tear it down and have more. Why? So that I can enjoy it all for myself, so that I can be merry. Life is all about this. The pursuit of happiness is this. It's the pursuit of possession. This man's plan did not have God in it. God was not part of the man's pursuit. His pursuit was other things in place of God. And this was the error in this worldview that Jesus teaches us in this parable. The man in this parable had it all confidently planned out. He would spend his life building his wealth and then enjoy life to the fullest at retirement. But God says to him in that parable, you fool. Do you know what the word fool in the Greek means? It means without mind or without understanding. In other words, that kind of reasoning, that kind of philosophy, that kind of wisdom is wisdom that is foolish. No wonder why in the Old Testament it says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. It's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of perception. Do you know what the world says about those kind of people? They call them the smartest men in the world. The atheists, the scientists, the Richard Dawkins, they're deemed as the most, as, as this is what knowledge, the epitome of what knowledge is, is these people but the Bible refers to them as fools, without mind and without understanding. This man was busy, accumulated wealth that he became poor toward God. So he runs, he runs around wealthy according to the world, but poor according to God. Jesus highlights that life is not about the possessions you accumulate. The, da the danger in this is that we, we are not being rich toward God. He goes on to say this, Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 24. When you read the context of the passages that we're reading, it just makes sense. He goes on to say, after he said this parable, then Jesus, now he's talking to, he was talking to the crowd. Jesus then turns to his disciples, to his followers, and he says this to them. Jesus said this to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or, what, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. Come on, church. And the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Can you see what Jesus is telling us? You are more valuable than birds. And I look after the birds. But you are not putting your faith and trust in me. You're pursuing something else. You want to be the provider of your life and not me. Jesus goes on to say, don't worry about your life. Life is more than food, more than the physical. This is what I want us to understand, that there is more to life than the physical realm. He goes on to say, verse 29 to 32, and do not set your heart. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. 
Jesus is saying, if God has given you his kingdom, what else is he, he you have given, he's given you everything that you need. Through Jesus, we have all the riches that we can possibly have. Jesus warns us, the disciples, those who, de- who say, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. He warns us, don't set your hearts and run after things that pagans run after. That people that don't know me run after. Don't have the same vision as the world has. God is never against the idea of being wealthy. His idea against the idea of being wealthy, surpassing the idea of being wealthy toward him. It's when money and possessions dominate our life and we have no room for God. May God open our eyes to the floor of this philosophy. He said, don't set your heart on these things. That's poverty life. Then he says, if you continue reading in context, he goes on to say, live a life ready and prepared. It's fascinating. Just like uh, someone who's ready when a thief, if they know a thief is going to come, they're living ready. He said, live prepared and ready lives. Church, I want to ask every single one of us a question today. Are we living a ready and a prepared life? Do you know why the Bible says that salvation is the, today is the day of salvation? Because you're not promised tomorrow, my friend. I appeal to those who have grown up in the church, to those of you who have heard the message over and over again, what have you done with that message? Our heart cannot be divided. Our heart has to be completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is waiting for his children to rise up and be the light and salt in this dark world. This is what he wants us to do, to live ready lives. Let's keep going. Point number three, I finish here. So this is then is true riches. What is true riches? Revelation chapter 2 verse 9. In Revelation, Jesus is speaking to the churches. And every church has a different rebuke. And some don't even have a rebuke. They have a praise from the Lord. But this church, listen to the fascinating thing that Jesus says about them. I know about your suffering and your poverty. That's material-wise. The church here in a, if you study Smyrna, the church where this letter is addressed to, they're actually a very wealthy city. So it's perplexing to me that in a wealthy city, the believers are very poor. Why are they very poor? Commentators say it could be a number of things. You see, the dominant, the dominant uh, things that were happening in that city was the worship of foreign gods and foreign idols. And when you refuse to be involved in the most dominant thing that is bringing in the most money in a particular thing, you will be persecuted. That's what the Bible says, that living a life for him will bring persecution. But that's not my point here. He said, I know your suffering and your poverty. You're materially very poor, but this confuses me. This is a, this is a very confusing statement, but you are rich. <laughs> Did you hear that, church? He said, I know about your poverty, but you are rich. That's a paradox right there. I know that the blasphemy of those opposing you, they say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Jesus is saying, look, I know that you are poor, but you are rich. In other words, the world will look at you and they will say to you that you are poor, but I look at you and I say to you that you are rich. Because God's definition and the world's definition is completely different. It's as heaven and earth is separate, it is separate. The next verse, the next passage will make all things clear. 
Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea, 17 and 18. You say, I am rich. This church is opposite. They say, confidently, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But Jesus says this to them. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. So to, to a group of people that have every material wealth that you can think of, they're saying, oh, I don't need really anything. I've got everything that I need. I'm rich. Jesus is saying, no, you are poor. You are rich according to the world, but you are very poor according to me. And he said to them, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. They said they are rich because they had a lot of earthly riches. Laodicea was known for three major industries. The bank industry, the wool industry, the eye salve medicine industry. Jesus was literally using the things that they are known for, that they are famous for, that they are wealthy for. He's using them as examples to show them the things that they need from him. Just because someone has many earthly riches, it does not mean they are wealthy according to God. This is God's eye view that sees beyond the surface of things. According to the World Bank, 689 million people live in extreme poverty for less than $1.90 a day. Did you hear me? 689 million people live on $1.90 in extreme poverty. Half of the world's po- uh, population lives in poverty. But this is extreme poverty, a dollar ninety a day. Okay, you've got that in your mind. The latest statistic is that Christianity, people who profess to be Christians in the world, are 2.3 billion people. 2.3 billion people. The population, the current population of the world is 7.8 billion people. So five, 7.8 minus 2.3, 5.5 billion people do not have Christ in the world right now as we speak. So the world's definition of what is, who are the ones that are in extreme poverty in the world, the world's definition will say 689 million people because they don't have any material possession. But if you were to ask God the same question, If you were to say, God, who are the poor people? Who are the ones that are living in extreme poverty in the world? He would say to you, 5.5 billion people. Because God's definition of poverty is the people that don't know him, the people that don't walk with him, the people that don't have a relationship with him. The very thing that we're going to celebrate Easter for was Jesus to bring us back in a right relationship with the Father. So heaven's definition of poverty is someone that doesn't have the life of eternal life. This is God's perspective on true poverty. And by the way, on the 2.3 billion people that say they're Christians, even there, there's a lot of mess in there. You can even there differentiate who are they that walk truly with God and who that don't. You see, friends, the Laodiceans didn't realize that the true condition of their poverty it wasn't that they were not sorry it wasn't that they were not spiritually poor it's simply that they were blinded to their spiritual poverty it didn't change their condition their profession what it changed was they didn't see it they didn't see their need for saving 
and I think this is the case for the majority of the modern world, especially the Western world. I read a recent article that shocked me that in the past hundred years, Christianity has not been decreasing, it just had migrated. It migrated from the great south and the European nations, it's now migrating to the east. It's Christianity spreading in Arab nations. I'm talking about nations that say you cannot preach Jesus. It's Christianity spreading wild. In nations where once the gospel was never there, Christianity is spreading like fire. But in the West, in the nations that are Laodiceans, they are rich. We are rich. We have everything materially that we need. They're rejecting God. They're pushing God out of their schools. They're pushing God out of the government. They're pushing God out of their families. And we're seeing the mess and the chaos that is in society. This is what the church needs to see. We need to see that we are called to Australia to bring this good news. To say the most livable place in the world you are a bunch of poor people and you will remain in your poverty unless you repent and turn from your sins and put your faith in Christ, the savior of your, your life. My prayer is that we, we pray, we do, we show this city that they are in true poverty. Jesus then in the Laodicean passage, he offers them spiritual counterparts to the three major industries that they were made wealthy by. Jesus says to them, buy from him gold that, that, they, that they may be truly rich, white clothes that they can cover their, naked eye, their nakedness, eye salve that they can truly see. Listen to me carefully. The riches we have in Christ are given as a gift because there is no other way to be rich according to God. Hopefully you didn't miss that. To be rich materially, you have to work hard. To be rich according to God, you have to believe right. It's not about working to earn the riches that Jesus came to give. It's about believing with your whole heart everything that he's done for you. So in other words, it's not, it doesn't favor certain people. It's not, it's not for this ethnic group or for, this, for males or for females. No, whosoever. Whosoever has a revelation of their poverty can come to the king of kings and have the riches that this world cannot give them. But why did Jesus say to them, come and buy from me? It's the same thing that Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 to 3. I'm almost done. He said this, come all who are thirsty. This is the call for salvation. Come to the waters and you who have no money. Listen to the paradox here. Come, you have no money, but come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This is a bunch of contradictive statements. It seems like it, but it's showing you that salvation is not cheap. It costs everything, the son of God, so that we may gain the things that we can never possess in our work. It's showing us that it has value. It costs the son of God his life to give us without money, without charge. So if you ever heard the gospel and they say to you to receive Jesus, give $500, say to them, get behind me, Satan, because salvation is not earned. Salvation is not paid for. Salvation is a free gift. This is the greatest news that we've ever heard. You do not work for this. You do not earn it. You do not tick a bunch of things. No, Jesus is saying you can be wealthy when you just come to me. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you have an awareness of your poverty? Why spend money, verse two, on what is not bread? This is our generation and generations past without God. We spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. 
We work for things. Like this rich man that said, I'm going to build bigger things. I'm going to enjoy life. We work and labor and labor to get joy that can only come from Christ. To get peace and security that can only come from God. David understood this. When he was being pursued by King Saul, his safety was Christ. His safety was God. He, he laid at night and he woke up again because God was with him. When his son was pursuing him, God was with him. He said, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fear. And he goes on to say, this paradox signifies that salvation is a free gift. The primary qualification for receiving the gospel is to know that you are needy and that you don't have the resources to save yourself. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. People who are truly blessed, that is happy, joyful, are those who can see spiritually. Those who are poor in spirit means those who recognize they're spiritually bankrupt apart from God. Those who know that they have nothing in themselves to save themselves. I think for Africans this applies, because we don't have much swimmers. <laughs> but let's just say you're thrown into the deep end. Okay, assume that you cannot swim. If you can swim, don't get offended, okay? No, it's not a racial thing, but, but we, when we, actually, I won't go there. But let's just say you're thrown in the deep end. In that moment, you can holler, you can scream, you can shout, you can do whatever you want. If you cannot swim, you are dead. You are on the mercy of another to save you. That is what being spiritually poor means, is when you have a realization, an understanding, there is nothing in myself. I cannot do anything to save myself. I am at the mercy of another. Those who know their lostness and hopelessness apart from Christ. Those who are poor materially know that their desperate condition and they need for help. But it is the spiritual poverty that people do not see. You know, when you're poor material-wise, you know. You know that you need help. But it is spiritual poverty that we do not see. This was true for the Pharisees. Do you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Your guilt, will not re your guilt remains on you because you claim to see. They claimed to know God. They claimed to be the, the, the descendants of Abraham. So we don't need your saving, Jesus. We are children of Abraham. So Jesus said, you will remain blind because you refuse to see your poverty. So you, you claim to see, but you're really blind. But Jesus said, I came for those who know they're sick, who know they're sinners, who know that they need a savior. Blessed are they that they can see they are poor spiritually. This is my prayer for us today, that we see our poverty apart from Christ. So remember, wealth and poverty, according to God, is opposite to the world's definition. I'll finish off as, um, as the keyboard player comes. I'll finish off with this verse. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 to 37 in the Amplified. I want you to hear me very carefully, church. For what does it benefit a man? When you see the word man in the Bible, it's not gender specific. It's referring to mankind. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all of its pleasures and forfeit his soul? Next verse. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom. 
It's the question that Jesus asked. And I want to finish off with this question today. What is the benefit if we are deemed wealthy by the world, but poor by the word? What is the use if like Steve Jobs, you, you have billions attributed to your name, but you don't have eternal life? I'll never forget one preacher, I forgot his name, but one preacher, he used this illustration. He got a rope that seemed to be unending. And at the tip, Francis Chan, and at the tip of that rope, he put down a red marker. And he said, from in depending on eternity, imagine this rope is never ceasing. Eternity is that, that rope that never ceases. Our time on earth is this little red, little red line. Let's just say 120 maximum years. He said, you're probably right there or right there, wherever you are on that line. doesn't really matter. But he said, we live all our life for this little line. And we care all about this little space here. And you're not even promised that space. And all your eyes are fixed on this. All you think about is this. All you do is about this. All all you're concerned about is this at the expense of that. You see, when you put a picture to it, how foolish it is that when we, that this rich man, he, he spent his life being rich materially, but he neglected be, being rich toward God. He neglected his relationship with God. Jesus asks here, what do you gain? He asks that man, who's going to accumulate all the stuff you worked hard for? You can get all the money that you can. But if you don't have Christ, you're the poorest person on earth. This message is not against being rich materially. I hope you get my heart. I hope you get my heart. This message is about being rich spiritually. And the only way you can become rich spiritually is by receiving the work of the cross. Jesus became poor so that we may become rich. You know, if I were to ask you, this is verse 37. Can you go quickly? Mark chapter 8, verse 37. Jesus asked this, For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth? Your soul is that unseen part of you that's really you that will inherit the new heavenly body and live on forever. What price are you going to put on your soul? I I, I saw a recent, not recent, but a, a person going out onto the street and asking this question. He said, How much will you give in exchange for both of your eyes? If you were to pluck out your eyes, how much money can I give you for that? Do you know what majority, 90, 98% of people said? No money is worth that. Because my eyes are that much valuable. You can give me 5 billion, 10 billion, it's not worth my eyes. Okay, he said, so how much then for one of your hand? I just want one of your hand. If I chop off your hand, how much? No, no, there's no value to that. How about your leg? No value to that. If we place value on our physical body, how much more? Jesus is asking here, what will you give in exchange for your soul? I pray that our eyes are open today. I pray that we see that our soul was worth one thing. Jesus laid his life down. Jesus gave up his life so that our soul lives forevermore. Close your eyes and let's pray with me. The riches we have in Christ are so precious 
that no amount of earthly wealth can purchase them. True riches are to be rich toward God, to know Jesus and to have fellowship with him. In the Laodicea church, Jesus ended it with this message. After he said to the people that were saying, I am rich, I don't need anything. He told them, you are poor. When you come to me and receive riches that are truly rich, he said, I want to come. I want to eat with you. I want to dine with you. I want to have fellowship with you. My friends, when you know the king of the universe, you are the richest person on earth. And whether you have a lot of material possessions, whether you have little material possessions, your, your wealth is not impacted. The world's wealth is impacted by the economy, by many factors, but heavenly wealth is not impacted by anything. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. That no one can take away what Jesus has done for us. They can kill our body, but they cannot kill our soul. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. We are a bunch of grateful people in this room. I want to ask you this very hour, this very moment, are you rich toward God? Or are you like this foolish man, living your life, accumulating worldly riches at the expense of your relationship with God? Are you pursuing other things in place of God? I believe this is a wake-up message for you. You're promised today, not tomorrow. And today is the day of salvation. And if you're in this room and you're saying, Yo-Yo, I want to exchange my pursuit. I do not want to pursue the things that I've been pursuing in my life. But today, I want to pursue Christ. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. I want Him to be the Savior of my life. I'm sick of following things that promise me things that never give me what this rich man uh, forgot was that one day he's going to die and that's what Jesus said you fool because tonight you will die what matters on your deathbed is not how much you have in your account is where you're going to spend in eternity if that's you without any shame I want you to say I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. Just put your hand up right there where you're at. I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want to pursue him with everything that is in me. I don't want to pursue me. I don't want to pursue what, what the world can give me. I want to pursue him. And when you pursue him, all the others, whether you're rich or poor, is just added stuff. You will glorify him in your plenty. You'll glorify him in your lack. You'll glorify him in all seasons. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. I thank you for the work that you're doing. As we continue learning from this series, From Rags to Riches, Lord, let us understand what you have done for us on the cross, that you sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice so that we can gain the thing that, can, that this world can never give us. Open our eyes as a generation. Open our eyes as the church. May your gospel, may your gospel be understood in our hearts and in our minds. May we walk with you, God. May we be rich toward you, God. May we be rich according to your word, God. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that what you've began in those who you're called, in those who are deemed to be your children, you will finish, Lord. Father, I thank you for every individual in this room and those who will be watching on the, on the online, Lord. I pray that you would help us to understand, to see that we're spiritually poor and our need for you, our Savior. Bless the week before us, we ask you in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much. The, the, the deacons and all the people who are serving, they've organized and prepared um, snacks and